From Phoenix, this is The Catholic Conversation, helping you live your faith in today's culture. Evangelization is bringing the gospel, which is the good news. What is the good news? It's a message, and the message is a person who's Jesus. Being a Catholic is unlike any other Christian or any other religious experience. And this is the church founded by Jesus Christ. Religious freedom, of course, is not just something we, we hold in our heads. We are most, most free, and therefore we are most kingly when we are able to make a total gift of self to another. We have to uphold motherhood at every turn, and fatherhood, which protects motherhood. The vital cell of society is the family. Anything that we're going to do to heal our country, our world, it's going to happen through the family. Marriage is a gift, and as a gift from God, as something divinely instituted, it's meant to be true, good, and beautiful. At the very heart of our femininity and masculinity is a call to motherhood and a call to fatherhood. Now here are your hosts, the cradle and the convert, Steve and Becky Green. Greetings in Christ, everybody, and welcome to the Catholic Conversation. I'm Steve Green, director of Kino Catechetical Institute at the Diocese of Phoenix, and I am the Cradle Catholic. And I'm Becky Green. I'm the director of the Green Homeschooling Institute and um, everything else in our lives. And I am the convert to the faith. And uh, we're up and running on a new year now, 2019. Mm -hmm. Hope you all are writing 2019 on your checks. Because if you still use checks, <laughs> right. what's a check? What's a check? Uh, or anywhere else where you have to write the date. Um, but yeah, we're we're starting to get back into the swing of things here and in the greenhouse. But um, I wanted to share the story of our Christmas because um, we had an opportunity to change things up a little bit. And I'm a little bit of a creature of habit, so it's kind of like when you're smiling. Why are you smiling? I was smiling as, as soon as you said that, it just reminded me. So Becky is a little bit of a creature of habit, as oh. she just said. Um, but what popped in my head is our restaurant choices. Oh, please. Okay. <laughs> which tend to get in a bit of a rut. No, I Be like what I like. Becky <laughs> likes what she likes. She's a creature of habit, and so she'll be on something. Like right now, it's Chipotle. It's and, easy to bring that in for dates and, and in, It friend. is, and she will ride that horse till it bucks her, <laughs> and then we're pretty much done with that thing. So there, there's a trail of restaurants <laughs> behind us that had their day, and it was good while it lasted, and, uh, but they're no longer the things. No, yeah, you're broad-stroking me. I don't know if I agree with all of this, but okay. Anyways, I was not going to talk about that. I was going to talk about the fact that um, so for Christmas, we have uh, family in town, and now actually my mom moved out, which is super awesome. Um, we have family in town, but they also have family in town. And so just sort of the way that it has, has gone over the years, um, all of our major holidays is is the, the family that is here. They actually are with the other families. And so for Christmas especially, which is my favorite holiday, um, we have kind of worked hard to try to create a tradition and of, of how we do things for our kids so that they kind of always know – and, and we'll look back on that's how Christmas was. And so we uh, have Christmas Eve, we go Christmas Eve mass. And this year our boys uh, got to altar serve. And then afterwards we'll have a little Christmas Eve dinner. And then we'll look at Christmas lights if there's time. And then we come home, get the kids to bed. And Steve and I will put on a Christmas movie. And we'll bring presents out and wrap presents and just spend some time together in that way. And then Christmas morning we have a couple of dishes that we prepare the night before. We can pop in the oven. They're cooking while we're opening presents. We have our late breakfast. And then we have a pseudo fondue dinner. Uh, I say pseudo because we actually cook up all the meat because having five children around a table with hot burning, burning oil is not necessarily my idea of a nice relaxing evening. So we kind of, we fake it a little bit, but, um, and so that has been sort of the way we have done things for years. And because I'm not a morning person, Christmas morning to me is like, you all stay in bed as long as it's humanly possible for you before the excitement of wanting to run downstairs and open presents just causes you to almost spontaneously combust. And then I will roll myself out of bed and we can all go down and do this together. But I don't want to really get myself together. There's just... So being a creature of habit, this has become sort of the norm and the thing we do. And that's where I'm comfortable. And this year, Steve had a, a it's like the cousin. My mom's cousin. Mom's cousin who lives out here. We don't really see very often. And her uh, father, who she moved out to care for from Wisconsin. And um, we have, and, and, and I don't believe she's a practicing Catholic at this time. So um, she had asked if we might 
if they might join us for, for some part of Christmas because her father is now with her and she's going to bring him to Mass because he's still a practicing Catholic and then looking for something else that could somehow be plugged back into some family, even though it's we're sort of distant relatives in some ways. And so we had said, oh, sure, join us for Christmas dinner. And then she'd come back and said, is it possible that we could do something in the morning where he can see kids opening presents? Because that I think that would just be so beautiful for him. He's elderly. Um, you know, he doesn't get around very well. And just to be able to see that. And there was this instant moment in myself where I am, you know, ashamed to kind of say where I had this selfishness kind of stir up. And I'm thinking, oh, well, that means I got to get ready in the morning. I gotta have a time Can't that we're supposed to be doing this. And a bathrobe. I might have to put deodorant on, and you know, you just start to kind of think of like my th- this is our thing. You kind of became protective of our our normal thing, and then we went to mass uh, prior to Christmas Eve mass, the Sunday mass. Right. And Father Shea, God love him, he gave this beautiful homily about the Holy Family and sort of their their searching for a place to stay, and it made us think about. How many people could have been the place where our Lord was born, mm-hmm. but they couldn't inconvenience it. They said they didn't have room for him. They didn't have room for that, that family, that holy family, but they did if they had just stretched themselves a little bit. If yep. they had they just... They could have made room. They, they didn't have room technically, Technically, but they could have made, made room where he's necess- not necessarily born in a stable, right? So that really kind of pierced me a little bit, and Steve and I talked about it, and we had this conversation, and we decided that that for the greater good and for our kids and for our family and for this opportunity also to reach out and bring extended family into the fold a little bit, um, we could make that sacrifice and stretch ourselves a little bit and maybe made me inconvenienced or, you know, uncomfortable a little bit. And it wound up being wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was really, it was really neat. Um, They were both very appreciative. Uncle Bob is 91, uh, lost his wife of, 50 plus years, you know, mm-hmm. a couple months back has been moved out to Arizona right. with his only child. They, they were never, they wanted more children, were only ever able to have one child. And so he's gone through this huge transition. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, just the fact that he was able to kind of be part of our celebration, as was my mom's cousin, it was just, it was a beautiful thing. And I was very proud of Becky for opening our home to that because I know that it is a, it was a stretcher and this is my family. You know, these are, these are my my Wisconsin folk here, but uh, yeah, it was it was great, and the the kids just were hospitable and friendly, and took to them, and um, yeah, it was it was it was a blessing. It gave, it gave us an opportunity to be a family that we want to be, and yes. I think that's what we're striving for every day: is what kind of family do we want to be? Do we want to be selfish? Do we want to be bickering? Do we, and we we still struggle with that as a family, but I think that's that the journey that we're all on is trying to seek. Uh, you know, something more that we become something more as a family, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Yep, we've got uh, we've got Gina Bauer with us. She is going to be out uh, to talk, uh, speak at the um, Parish Leadership's Professional Development Week. But she's uh, she's from Minnesota. She's actually from Wisconsin, um, but she is a, a speaker, a teacher, and a, a trainer and a catechist up there in Minnesota. Um, and so she's going to be talking to us about uh, evangelizing as a family. So you'll want to stay right where you are because we will be right back on The Catholic Conversation. Today's broadcast is brought to you in part by Morningstar OBGYN. With gentleness and compassion, they provide the best in current therapies that restore the integrity of the body and soul. You can find Morningstar OBGYN at morningstarobgyn.com or by calling 480-355-8525. And welcome back to The Catholic Conversation. I'm Steve Green, the Cradle Catholic, and my lovely wife, Becky, the convert. And we're pleased to be joined by Gina Bauer. Uh, Gina is a Catholic <laughs> speaker, teacher, and trainer um, from Minnesota who's going to be down here for the uh, Parish Leadership Professional Development Week. Uh, Gina Bauer, welcome to The Catholic Conversation. Well, I'm glad to be here with you. So, it, you know, it's fine. We, we've been looking forward to this interview. The, the whole question of the mission of the family and evangelizing as a family and the impact that the family can have, uh, not just in the church, but in the wider culture is something that, that Becky and I have done a lot of thinking and talking and praying about and have tried to be intentional uh, about as well. When we say, so you, we talk about things like, you know, saving the world through the family. 
and obviously mm-hmm. in the culture that we live in, that that kind of expression mm-hmm. can strike people as pretty odd. Like, what what in the world does that mean? Um, mm-hmm. What in in your in your work, Gina? Um, what do you try to help people understand as just sort of the basic mission of the, fa- or even that, even that the concept that a family has right. a mission and where does that kind of come from for you? Well, I think for me, it came from, well, first of all, from my own family, I was blessed to be raised in a family with a mother and a father who really lived their faith and instilled in us from the time we were young, um, the need for us to love and to reach out to other people who are less fortunate than us. And so um, there was a young man in our neighborhood, um, Timmy, who um, had a learning disability and was often picked on um, throughout the neighborhood. And Mm -hmm. my mother would always tell us to invite him over and to be good to him because he was definitely going to get a higher place in heaven than us. And so we better make friends now. (laughs) (laughs) Did did, did she also say that when you were behaving badly? (laughs) Timmy's getting a way (laughs) higher if you don't get your room picked up. (laughs) Yeah, so... So I think for our family that we we did the the model that our parents gave us was so important, and I I I don't think my parents realized it at all um, how significant um, their role was. But in my work with the youth, um, so I've been working in Catholic youth ministry for thirty years. Um, what started to happen was as we brought the youth to Christ, there was such a hunger from the parents to to learn more about what their kids were learning. It was really the parents that started to come to youth group and ask questions mm-hmm. and wanted more of what we were feeding the kids. And so we started to develop um, a youth ministry program that would also enable the parents to grow in their own faith and feel more empowered to parent their teenagers which is really important because once as, once the youth program was done, the kids as young adults continue on with their parents, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was important that the family could be strengthened and to see their role and their mission as a family, not only to others, and this is the key that I think is missing, is that we have to teach the members of the family how to um, be able to... Um, First, as a family, help each other, lead each other to Christ and to their mission. And then when the family is operating and working well, then teach them not to stay inside of that little group or the group of the two or three families that are working well, but to open their doors up then to families that need to be strengthened and to teach them through their example, through their love, how to evangelize and bring other families to Christ. And so, and and I've seen this working. Um, My son one time brought home, um, he was going to the University of Minnesota, and he brought home an exchange student from China. And this young man was in our house for a weekend, eating with us, talking with us, sleeping on our couch. And he, first of all, was so amazed that we had so many meals together. And Mm. in his home, there was no other children. He was the only child. And the parents both had jobs in separate cities, so they rarely ate together. Wow. So he started to explain at our table how in his home, like, there was only one child. And when they got together, it was very special because they didn't get together as much as our family did. So that would be an example of our of our kids learning how to open the doors up, but it was within our home sure. that he saw the vision of the family, and the family is the vision of the Trinity, and yeah. and that so when a family's working together, the life and the love of the family, it um, is to point to the life and the love of the Holy Trinity, and that's what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. And Gina, and yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I hope that wasn't too much. No, no, that's that's exactly okay. the direction we're going. Well, and the the whole idea of the family is first you have a couple. I mean, when you if you really right. think about it, and I guess you know, dovetailing off of the whole Trinitarian, um, you know, the iconic reflection um, of mm-hmm. the family. Family, it's it starts with 
couple. And talk a little yeah. bit about that because we, we see this in our culture. We do have family breakdown. And the family breakdown, you can trace back in most cases, it traces back to there is a, a misunderstanding or a misuse or um, a misinterpretation of what that that core of the family, which is the married couple, the man and wife together, that sort of becomes the foundation, right? That's the root of it all. And from that, you're going to either have family that, I mean, we're all a little dysfunctional, but you're going to have serious breakdown, serious dysfunction, or you can have that strength and that example, as you're saying you had in your own life where you're remembering how your parents intentionally created that family environment, but it has to start with the two people. And there are some, there's some criteria there. There are some ways and a vision and a mission of that couple. So talk a little bit about that. Sure. Well, you're right on with that. And so I think, um, sometimes we put such an emphasis on the children And even even in the pro-life movement, we put such an emphasis on the child being aborted, which which is important, mm-hmm. but we forget about the importance of the woman and the man who are creating these babies. We forget the importance of the sacrament of marriage and, and um, valuing um, marriage and teaching people why marriage is worth it. Um, there was an article in Times Magazine um, several years ago. It was so interesting because in a way it was reflecting what John Paul II was um, teaching in his document, um, Familiar Consorsus, in that it said that people more and more wanted to have families, but they were less and less willing to sacrifice for them. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, well, that's a and, profound insight. And, and in his, it, yes, and in his document, he talks about how the, the, the um, family has to be willing to sacrifice. So getting to the couple, in order for us to form these healthy relationships, we have to be working with the high school and the college students to teach them the importance of sacrificing and preparing themselves for the sacrament. But even when we get young people who are in engaged, right, and then maybe they haven't thought a whole lot about the sacrament of marriage, so we give them a fast course on it, and we, we hope it'll work. Um, what I have found to be really practical and important is to be doing after-marriage programs with young married couples. Right. And actually, right. it can even be married couples that have gone farther along. Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a, great, that's a great idea. Um, y- you mentioned uh, John Paul II and Familiaris, and Familiaris Consortio, uh, his letter to families. Um, how mm-hmm. did you how did you first come across that document, and what what did that change? What what did you know? Obviously, now Pope Saint John Paul II's view of mm-hmm. the theology of the family and the mission of the family and the reality of the family. What did that change for you, both as uh, as a teacher um, and as a catechist and a, a, a Catholic speaker, mm-hmm. but also as as a wife and as a mom? Well, that. That's such a beautiful question, and I thank you so much for asking it. I have um, followed um, St. Pope John Paul II um, for years and studied both the theology of the body, his um, letter to women, Malarius Dignitatum, and then um, his um, letter to the families. And with familiar consorsis, um, the I have a I have a quote that I just love um, from it that just really struck my heart when I read it this document years ago and have done um, quite a bit of teaching on it. Um, Article six says our era needs such wisdom more than beyond ages. If the discoveries made by man are to be further humanized, and this is the part of this quote that really struck me. For the future of the world stands in peril unless wiser people are forthcoming. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And so I like I like to start with that just to say, you know, first of all, he wouldn't have written this if he didn't think there was hope. And isn't that what he came to bring us mm-hmm. with hope? Mm-hmm. But he also said, like, in the darkness, kind of like the wise men, you know, the wise men were in the dark. And they were searching by the light of the star. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a GPS. 
Right. <laughs> they were searching for that baby Jesus, just like we are in the darkness of this world, searching for truth. And they found it by, by, by searching for the light, for the truth. And, and what he says in this document that is very profound is he said that families and husbands and wives, women and men, must return to Christ. Mm-hmm. The family must return to Christ. And that's where we're going to get the wisdom we need to rebuild this civilization of love. And it is going to be in the family. Mm-hmm. It has to be in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he says, um, he really lifts up like the role of the man and the woman in the sacrament of marriage. Um, he he says this quote that I'd like to that I'd like to just give to you too that I starred here in the document. Jesus Christ, bridegroom of the church and the sacrament of matrimony. He gives this quote from I'm probably gonna mess up the name, but it's the father of the church, Tertullian. Did I say it right? Tertullian, yep. Yep. Yep, Tertullian. Listen to this, it's really neat. He says this about the sacrament of marriage. How can I ever express the happiness of the marriage that is joined together by the church? strengthened by an offering, sealed by a blessing, announced by angels, and ratified by the Father. Mm, How that is beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? There's a little tiny bit more. How wonderful the bond between two believers with single hope, a single desire, a single observance, and a single service. They are both brethren and servants, there is no separation between them in spirit or flesh. In fact, they are truly two in one flesh, and where there, the flesh is one, one is the spirit. Mm. Isn't that something? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess that's why Tertullian got to be a doctor of the church, and, and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's beautiful. Yeah, the doctor. Yeah, so when I, those were, that's like at the beginning of the document, and when I was reading this, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm married. I didn't know on my wedding day that the angels were like yes. celebrating. Yes. The father was announcing. Like I I had no idea that right. excitement was right. there right. in the sacrament of my marriage. Yes. That's that is so, so that is so when when you're when you're forced to stop and ponder that, I think that's where you have one of those moments of awe over like, wow, we really are meant to be better together than we could have ever been individually on our own and there's a purpose here and there's an attention here and there's a design to what this sacrament is supposed to supposed to mean for us um and it does it does kind of humble you a little bit you know it's just wow really there were there were angels that were singing and jumping up and down and praising this the moment that it happened that's amazing um, our guest is Gina right. Bauer, and she is a Catholic speaker, teacher, and trainer who will be coming out to the Parish Leadership Professional Development Week. Um, but we have her here now to talk just about the evangelization uh, witness of the family, the mission of the family, and what that's meant to be. And I, it, it's part of an ongoing conversation that Steve and I have within our home and with our children that, you know, uh, in those moments, especially when you have the kids that are you know, nipping at each other. And I I don't know why I have this brother and why couldn't I have had a different brother, you know, and they have all those ridiculous (laughs) questions that they throw out there and you're just kind of rolling your eyes and shaking your head. And, and we, we come back to the fact that there's actually a reason you were given to us and we were given to you Mm -hmm. and these siblings were given to you. And there, there is actually, um, a mission that you individually are given and there's a person that you're supposed to become, but mm-hmm. you're meant to do so through this conduit of the family, through these people, hand in hand, all of us together joined as one. And then we will mm-hmm. go out into the world and proclaim mm-hmm. something. But we do so through this experience of being Steve and I, husband and wife, and our children, the incarnation of our love and their relationships with one another. And sometimes, that looks really ugly. And we always say this looks yeah. this could look really ugly. This doesn't give a good witness. I mean, I I see myself going into Walmart with all of them around me and and I'm a big fan. And I say, you know, hey, 
we want to give a good witness to big families. We want to give a good witness to Catholic kids. You know, mm-hmm. let's let's go in here and let's be on our best behavior. But it's more than just about an image. And that's what I try to get across is we're not just trying to paint an image so that people like us or think yeah. that Catholics are cool. It's more about what is our family supposed to be witnessing to the world? What are we what hope and joy and how are we pointing to Christ? So um, that has become part of our, our conversation as a family. How does the family become um, who they are called to be in Christ? Because it is not just the, in, the individuals themselves each have that call. We each have our own call, mm-hmm. but we also have a call as part of this community we're born into. I, the, the part that I love about what you're talking about is reflected in... Um, in the Holy Fathers, when he talks about the family become what you are, mm-hmm. and he, he calls us to become what you are. He says that, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, and this is something that I always have to remember with my kids, but also with the youth that I work with, mm-hmm. is that, like, you know, when you go to catechism class or you're teaching your children before you walk into Walmart, right? Mm-hmm. You're teaching them, this is how we act as, for me, the Bowers, and this mm-hmm. is how we act as your family or mm-hmm. as Catholics. Um, that's the catechism part. That's the teaching. It's the actual going into Walmart. It's the actual life lived out in the home. That's the lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's the actual putting it into action. And so what I've told myself, and as we also take youth around the um, country on different pilgrimages, or we take them on retreat. I will always train my leaders, and I say, don't, don't expect them to be perfect while we're teaching them. Look for where they're messing up because it's a teachable moment. Sure, it totally train, it totally changes the parents. It totally changes the leaders when they almost go to Wal- into Walmart and kind of hope they'll mess up. <laughs> well, I have because not reached that maturity level yet because I'm praying no, they don't. <laughs> but, but just it's so interesting yeah. when you already have it planned because think of how many times sure. you went into Walmart and somebody's screaming at their kids. Yes. Or you, you feel bad for the overwhelmed mother or yes. the father who can't you know what I yep. mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so and so just the way we respond to our children, just the way that we teach them, but then also you know, look for their faults, not to over jump down them and mm-hmm. want them to be perfect. But is is this is this above the line or below the mm-hmm. line? How did that? How what do you what are you doing? Yeah. Now we're all sitting in the car. We're not going to be able to go to McDonald's <laughs> right. for lunch because yep. right are, because yep yep because because we gotta we gotta try our lab. We gotta do our homework yeah. again. We, let's yeah. try it again, <laughs> okay, guys. And so and so by by looking at this then what are we doing? Okay, so this is how he breaks it down. He says, the mission of the family is to guard love, reveal love, and communicate love. And when we break that down, what what does it actually mean, like, to guard love? Like, think of a guardian angel. It's to prevent harm. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we might step in and do something for our kids at any level as parents, and they might not ever understand it, but we're just guarding love. Yep. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. We're just guarding them. They don't even have to understand why. I'm gonna, I'll give you this example of what I did with my, my son, who is now 27 years old. But at this time, he was in high school. He had just gone to a new Catholic high school. He, he was struggling to form a social life and had his license. So I, he must have been a sophomore, 16. He had been invited to go out to a movie that was an outdoor movie. And unfortunately, the first movie was R-rated, and the second movie was PG and was fine. So the late movie, which was fine, was way past his bedtime. You know, Mm -hmm. curfew, I shouldn't say Mm -hmm. bedtime for a 17-year-old. But Mm -hmm. the first movie, he just couldn't go. And he said, Mom, I I won't watch the bad scenes. And I just looked at him and I smiled and I said, I know. And I said, I believe that you wouldn't want to, but I can't even stomach the thought of all you kids out there at this R-rated movie. Because he had looked it up and it was going to be, you know, an R-rated movie. Mm -hmm. And I said, honey, I'm sorry. I know you're trying to connect with these kids, but you can't go. And he, of course, was upset. Mm -hmm. And he he left the house and he said, I'm going to go out for a walk. And he left. 
And I was so, like, upset because I wanted to let him go, but I couldn't. And so I got out the vacuum, and I started vacuuming the house. And he comes back an hour later, and he looks at me, and he says, what are you doing? I said, because he knew I was, he vacuums on Saturday morning. (laughs) I said, Uh I'm doing your vacuuming because I couldn't let you go. (laughs) (laughs) And he looks at me, and he goes, you're crazy. <laughs> I know. And, and I ordered a pizza and, you know, we watched a movie. Yeah. So I normally we don't order pizzas like that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I yeah. went over the top yeah. with the because I was guarding him yeah. from going out to that show. But I also was revealing love and communicating love to him at the same time. Nice. Yes. And I have to tell you, we can't, we have to do all of it. Like yeah. we can't just say no all the time without really making sure that we are revealing that love and kindness mm. to them mm. and to each other mm. and communicating that love to them. And so that's kind of an example of in the home, what I think he was trying to teach us when he said that the family, um, he said, family become what you are in God's plan. It has been established as a, um, the family has been established as an intimate community of life and love. Hence, the family has the mission to guard, reveal, and communicate love. Yeah, wow, that's a that's a, uh, that's a beautiful reflection on. And what a, what a great anecdote too of how those three elements move together. We are up against the break, um, so let's okay. pick let's pick this conversation up when when we get back because there's a couple things I, I want to ask you. Uh, to dig okay. a little bit deeper in. So if you're listening, stay right where you are, because we're going to be back with Gina Bauer here on The Catholic Conversation. Today's broadcast is brought to you in part by Morningstar OBGYN. With gentleness and compassion, they provide the best in current therapies that restore the integrity of the body and soul. And now a message from Lisa McDaniel, physician assistant at Morningstar OBGYN. Hi, I'm Lisa McDaniel. I'm a physician assistant at Morningstar OBGYN in Gilbert. Today, I'm going to talk about postpartum depression. Postpartum depression is a very common problem that happens typically within the first few weeks after a baby is born. The mother experiences symptoms of sadness, tearfulness, depression, anxiety is a big one that a lot of women overlook. Um, Guilt, not wanting to take care of their baby, not having energy to do things, and these go much further beyond just being overtired and not sleeping well. If postpartum depression begins in those first few weeks after a baby is born, it's typically a hormonal disorder because when women deliver a baby, the next thing they deliver is their placenta, which is their progesterone-making machine during pregnancy. So when the placenta is delivered, a woman's progesterone level drops basically to zero. And this happens in every woman, but only some women develop postpartum depression. So the treatment that we do at Morningstar OBGYN is a shot of bioidentical progesterone given in the hip. And within an hour, we see incredible results of the postpartum depression virtually reversing itself and a woman feeling back to normal. So the medical community currently treats postpartum depression as a psychiatric disease. You would receive a referral to a psychiatrist or counselor and be put on antidepressants, which would take one to two months to work and would not address the progesterone issue. So you certainly see a much faster relief when you give the progesterone injection. It's important to note that there are some um, non-hormonal causes of postpartum depression, and those typically begin after that first month. And that's more of a situational depression or anxiety that happens with the adjustment of a new baby, the changes that occur in a marriage, having more than one child, and maybe not having the support that you need. It can be very overwhelming to have a new baby. And so sometimes postpartum depression, when it happens later, is not hormone-related, and the injections would not work. And that's when we would look at antidepressants. But it's interesting because women leave the hospital after two to three days, but often that hormonal postpartum depression doesn't set in until that third to eighth day. Mm -hmm. And so you don't see your doctor back for your postpartum visit until you're six weeks postpartum. And so we have to work really hard at educating our patients 
to make sure that they look for that and call us right away so we can get them in immediately for an injection if, it, if they experience that depression right away. And you don't even need to be a patient at Morningstar. There are NAPRO centers all over the U.S. We can help you find that. Fertilitycare.org is a really great resource for finding NAPRO specialists throughout the country. And the good news about progesterone injections is that they cost about $20 to $30 and are typically covered by insurance. You can find Morningstar OBGYN at MorningstarOBGYN.com or by calling 480-355-8525. And welcome back to the Catholic Conversation. I'm Steve Green, the Cradle Catholic, here with my lovely wife, Becky, the convert, and uh, our guest, Gina Bauer, who's a Catholic speaker, teacher, and trainer, is going to be out here for our uh, professional development week from the uh, Parish Leadership Office uh, when when we went to the break, Gina, you had just been talking about um, that that kind of how how the family becomes who they're called to be in Christ, and the the interplay of the members of the family, and how necessary that is. And then um, there, but there's there are threats to the family. There always have been. That's nothing new. Um, there have always been mm-hmm. threats to the family because, of course, Satan wants to attack the family. He realizes, in fact, in point of fact, Satan sees far more clearly how powerful the family can be mm-hmm. and is meant to be, and he hates it. And so he pushes yeah. against it, and he, he introduces temptations. What, and John Paul II, of course, always had such a profound spiritual sense of the everyday. He, did, he, never, he didn't look at everyday things and just see everyday things. He saw beyond mm-hmm. that into the depths. And so when he looked at the family, he saw the spiritual reality, but he also saw the spiritual reality of the things that are brought against the family and the tactics and the things that Satan uses to try to break them up. Talk a little bit about that. What are some of those those challenges that John Paul II identifies mm-hmm. to the the to the family becoming what it's meant to be? Right. Um, I think first, you know, when we try to address the whole family, it's important to, um, as Becky was saying earlier, to look at the core mm-hmm. and um, it, the couple. And I think it's so important that the that the man and the woman realize both that um, Christ offers a new heart, and He offers us this new heart again and again and again. And that um, one of the things He says in this document to the family is, thus the couples are not only able to overcome hardness of heart, but also and above all, they are able to share the full and definitive love of Christ. And so the access that we have to Christ through the sacraments, especially through the Holy Eucharist, is huge for the, for the couple to understand. And if they can turn to Christ um, at Sunday Mass and really pour their hearts out to Him, placing their hearts on the altar and really asking God to make their hearts one in that in that communion that we share in Christ, that He has promised us that He would give us a new heart. And um, I've seen this in my own life, and I'm sure, um, Steve, that you and Becky have too, yeah. that you can, you can feel like it's, I mean, over sometimes. Like, you have knocked against each other's walls over mm-hmm. and over again, or, you know, the worst is when you go back to something that you already thought you solved 10 years ago, and it comes <laughs> up again. Uh, Have you ever had that? Mm-hmm, and it yeah. could be something really so stupid mm. that you go, are you kidding me? You know, we are going to go back there again. And But with that newness of heart, I remember one time um, sitting on the couch. This was early on our marriage. Now, my husband and I are going to be celebrating our 30th anniversary this oh, August. Wow. Congratulations. Oh, my goodness. And have we had our ups and downs like every other couple? Mm-hmm. But I remember, like, in the first, like, you know, early years of our marriage, um, feeling like my husband just was so busy with work and all of the things he had going on that I just, really felt like he didn't love me anymore. Like, not the, I mean, you know the love where, like, we're hardcore Catholics, so we're going to stay together, but I'm talking about, like, the tender good love, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I was sitting on the couch, and I was praying, and I was crying, and I was pouring my heart out to the Lord, and 
I heard him say to me, I have given a portion of my love to you, for you, to your husband, Dwayne. Mm-hmm. I heard him say it. And I felt like with that grace of that, so that's the promise, right? This new heart. I have given it to him. That's the promise. And wow. I'm sitting on the couch, and he walks home, and the kids are gone. It was just weird. They're alone. <laughs> and he walks in, and he looks at me, and I'm smiling. And he goes, what? I go, Jesus told me that he gave <laughs> a portion of his love to you, and that you have that. And he looks at me, he comes over, he goes, I do. Oh. <laughs> and we, we ended up, like, he took a, he took the evening in a new direction, and and. That's how fast the Lord, He takes us in a new direction. Every day He mm-hmm. leads us, He guides us, and when we are heading off in a way that's not truth, you know, my feelings weren't the truth. The truth was that I'm in the sacrament of marriage, I am protected, I am guarded, and, you know, because this whole idea that we were talking about earlier about that the family has a responsibility to guard communicate and reveal love, or guard, reveal, and communicate love. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Like, because I turned to the Lord in prayer when I was getting off a little bit on my belief in, in the love that my husband had for me, which is interesting, isn't it? It takes faith to believe that our spouses love us. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. right. It, it does. Because we can't be with each other all the time, right. and we're not always our best version of ourselves right. with each other. Right. Amen. Right. Oh yes. <laughs> and so, and so, like what I was, what I was thinking about while I was talking was that just like Christ, just like the family has the mission to guard, reveal, and communicate love, Christ revealed that to us yep. in His own mission, how He guarded over us by taking on that cross and revealing and communicating love for us. Yep. And then pouring that grace into us and bringing us to life and and bringing us to love the communion that we have in God our Father with the Holy Spirit. It's so beautiful. And so with the married couple, it has to start with them understanding that in Christ we can always, there's nothing that can't be overcome if the couple is willing to put the work and the effort into it. Um, and, and sometimes it means getting some counseling. It means going and getting some, um, you know, um, other families to hang out with to learn how to love. I know at one point we met with other couples and we talked about how to work things out. And there's there's a lot of different ways to overcome a lot of that hardness of heart. But the marriages that Christ has called together, He will sustain. But we got to put the work into it. That, that's right. That's so that takes a great spirit of forgiveness and sacrifice on the part of the couple. And I think what people have to understand is, even in the situations where there's, I don't know if you guys have the program Retrovi down yes. in your diocese. Yep. Yes, we, we do. do. Yep. Okay. Well, it, Retrovi is an awesome retreat. It's often you know, put out there as a retreat for couples that their marriage is almost over, right? Yep. But I have to tell you, it's a really good retreat for couples who think their marriage might be over <laughs> if right. they don't do something. Right. Because you don't have to get to the point that it's over. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, and then and then we have to, then from the couple, then we have to bring it to the whole family. And to our children. And I, I have to say this, that what I've learned is that in my family, I kind of wish my parents would have worked a little bit harder at teaching us how to forgive each other and talk to each other and slow us down a little, because I think children will respond to empathy and teaching each other um, how to be in a family but a lot of times, I think what people do is they say, oh, they're just teenagers, or they're just kids. They'll get over it. Hmm. But the truth is, they grow up and they're not really that great of friends. So I think then if the couples are friends, then if they can start working with the, with their children from the time they're young, but even if their kids are older now and they haven't spent a lot of time together, pray together, play together, work together. Yep. 
and also try to help solve each other's problems together, you know? Yep. Um, when that starts to happen in the home, it, it's really, really beautiful. Um, it takes a lot of... The, the, the parents have to want to build a, a um, John Paul family. That's mm-hmm. what I tell them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yep. I said, you, you have to want to build this, and you have to pray, and God, God will just help you. And I... I mean, and it's hard because, like, here you are. Maybe you're going to all... Okay, so this is an example. We were trying to have fun with our kids. Now, I have to tell you, this is probably our weakness because we're more serious, so we tend to... I grew up in an Irish-German home, but my father was very German. (laughs) So the emphasis on work was much more than the emphasis on fun, although my mother was lovely and Irish and loved to have a good time. Um, But we had really worked hard, saved our pennies, and we're going to take our kids to Florida. And all, we have um, four children that are living. Okay. So we get down there, and you know, you work so hard and save your money, and you want to go have fun so bad. They're all fighting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they won't stop fighting. Yes. We got a condo with the pool. Yes. We're near the beach. Yeah. And I, I like, we're, we just have that We're trying to have fun here. <laughs> I said, like, we don't have time to fight. It, right. it, 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 two days, it just wasn't peaceful. And we woke up on the morning of the third day. I was so discouraged. And I said, so we had teenagers and little ones. Okay. Mm. So I said to my husband, we got to go to mass. We got to do something. So, we found an early morning mass. We got them all up, and they were not. We're on vacation. Why are we going to mass? Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <It's> not Sunday. <laughs> Typical normal. And um, their father said not one word. We just all got in the car. We go to mass, fighting the whole way they were. We get to mass, <laughs> and they couldn't fight in church. So we all prayed, and we're going to mass. And after mass, they we did our after prayers, and they went out to the car with their dad. They were hungry and wanted to get back, but there wasn't that joy. And so I went up and found the priest, and I told him. He says, what's going on? I said, our family's here on vacation. We saved and worked so hard to get here, and the kids won't He started laughing so hard. He goes, what do you want me to do? I go, would you just come out and talk to us and pray with us? <laughs> because I would love to. So Aww. we walk out there all in the car, and they get out, and their heads are all down. <laughs> <laughs> Mom's playing and the father, trump card here. <laughs> Father's like, hi, guys. He introduced himself, learned all their names. He talked about how beautiful Florida was in the ocean and how it was so good for families to have fun there and, and to be together and gave us his blessing. That was it. We got in the car, went back. And everything was peaceful. We made lunch together. We went to the beach together. We, we it was uh, the rest of the vacation was beautiful. Well, but it just took that reminder: become who you are. Yep. And it doesn't come naturally; it's supernatural, and we have to gently mm-hmm. bring them along. And so, I really encourage like family vacations to look at it like a family retreat, like the lab, right? Yep. We're going to go together. We're going to find out where we each other are at, get to know each other, find out, you know, what's going on. We're going to have fun if it other. kills us. We are going to have fun together. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to have fun. And when you just start having fun, it, it lightens everything up and it brings a joy that makes the other things, the work and the prayer and the sacrifice more meaningful because we also love each other. We have fun together and we believe in each other. Yep. So, Our guest is Gina Bauer. She is a Catholic speaker, teacher, and trainer and wife and mother as well, which is where that laboratory is happening for you to become a great teacher and trainer and speaker because we all go off of our own experiences. Um, and when you were speaking, it was, uh, you know, making me think of the fact that the, the family is supposed to reflect Christ and be drawn closer to Christ. It's through our family that we mm-hmm. can become who we're supposed to be. And um, I think for all of us, but I think especially when you're Catholic and you're trying hard to really to live that holy life and raise kids who are going to be good, holy, faithful Catholics, um, there can be a temptation to get 
to get worried or um, concerned or depressed or even despair when you don't see mm-hmm. things going well, when you've got kids that are struggling and mm-hmm. having their crosses and it seems like they're just so much more serious or you, you of course, project, or at least I do, I guess I'm speaking for myself here, project into the future and think, oh my goodness, you know, this, this person could be the Pope someday or could be the Unabomber. I'm not sure just based on the day, you know, or which, which child is this person's anxiety going to carry into life and they're going to be in a padded room. You know, you just, you start to, to play out and you look at what you're trying to do and it just seems like there's failure mm-hmm. everywhere. And why isn't this looking more like what I envision the Catholic family to look like? And then what you were, when you were talking about sort of that reflection of Christ's love, I think, you know, Christ in his most sacrificial moment, in his most beautiful act of love, did not look very pretty. He did not, he was not all wrapped up in this beautiful, nice, perfect package. He's hanging there bleeding and dying. And that's what we're all doing in, in a way. But that's what the beauty of that sacrificial love can look like in the family is that we do just continue to get up and we're going to brush ourselves up and you're going to, yes, you are going to have fun today and you're going to stop fighting and we are going to like each other and we are going to work harder on this forgiveness, this mercy aspect that you're talking about, which I know for us, um, we talk about it a lot, but we do have to implement it more in our family. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I like the way, I mean, it really touched me when you were talking about like Christ being messy and bleeding on the cross too. I I just, I think sometimes we want heaven on earth, and we do have that heaven on earth through the sacraments. We have the power and the grace and the love of Jesus, but we have the sacrificial element here mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. and it was his pierced heart and the blood that flowed from that that gave life, right? Mm-hmm. The, the water and the... Um, the water and the blood that flowed out of his yep. pierced heart right. that brought forth the life of the church. And I think the parents, you know, I think of the way my mother and my father sacrificed to raise us kids. And, you know, I wasn't an easy kid to raise. And um, and my siblings, you know, they were much worse than me. <laughs> 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 hey, we have that in common. Right. That's incredible. <laughs> but... But, but you know, my 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 mom and my dad were faithful. I need to remind people is that God is faithful, and if we do our best to be faithful to God and through that faithfulness to Him, faithful to our spouse, and faithful to God in Christ, and as Catholics, that means the Church's teachings. Yep. And, and my parents, you know, they were raising us kids in the 60s when the birth control pill came out and abortion followed. Mm-hmm. And my father met as a young doctor. He had the moral decision to make if he was going to give out the contraceptive pill to his patient. Mm-hmm. And he really struggled with this because he studied the pill and he did not want to give it to his wife. And he told us kids he had never, ever purposely gone against the Holy Father And at that time, Pope Paul VI had affirmed that the teaching of the Church is founded upon Mm -hmm. this inseparable connection willed by God and and unable to be broken by man between the two meanings of the conjugal act, the unitive meaning and the procreative meaning. Right. And when my father studied that in Humanivite, he just said, I can't do it. Mm. Wow. And so he, he lost a lot of... He lost a lot of money, and he he was made fun of in a sense. You know, mm-hmm. he suffered for this teaching. However, what was interesting is a lot of patients, when they were ready to have their babies, came back to him because hmm. they trusted him. Yep. Yep. And he he started to research and learn about what natural family planning was, because at the time they didn't have it as developed as it is now. What is really, I don't know if people realize this, but many people who are not Catholic do natural family planning because they want to eat organic food and be healthy, Mm -hmm. and they don't want to put this in their body. I met this one friend one time for lunch, and she had switched to NFP. This was a few years ago. She wasn't Catholic anymore, or she wasn't Catholic. She was Protestant. 
but she was doing NFP, and I said, you know what, you really should become Catholic now because this <laughs> is right. what most Catholics <laughs> <Yeah>. do. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> she just looked at me and go, okay. Yeah. So we had a, we continued to dialogue today, but it's just that that they were faithful even when it was so hard. And if we look at the scriptures, what what brought the blessing down upon the family was fidelity and faithfulness to God and and then the married couple to each other. And so then what happens, and this young married couples and people need to understand is that God has promised if we are faithful and we do our best, not that we're perfect, Mm -hmm. but that we're faithful in our imperfection. Only God is perfect. He loves us how we are. He calls us onward and upward to mature in Christ. But if we are faithful, He will be faithful to us. He has our backs, and He will bring our children and our friends and our family and our world. He will bring us to fulfillment summed up in Christ, handed up over to the Father. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I love it. That's a, that's, a great, that's a great way to wrap up. Unfortunately, our time is at an end here. But um, before we go, uh, Gina, where can people find you if they're interested in uh, and listen to some of your podcasts or maybe having you come out and speak at an event for them? How can people locate you and your good work? Oh, thank you so much for asking. They can find me on ginabauer.com. Okay. I have a website. Great. It's just GinaBauer.com. And that's Bauer, B-A-U-E-R. Yes. Okay. Because my maiden yes. name is Bowers, but it's B-O-W-E-R-S, so make sure they oh, type the right in. Wonderful. <laughs> yes. yeah, I'm, I'm the Bauer belt from um, Duran, Wisconsin. Very nice. good. Heard of that. <laughs> nice, nice. God's country. So, God. Well, Gina, thanks thanks so much for being on with us, and we'll look forward to having you out here for the uh, the Parish Leadership professional development week um god bless and in the meantime the rest of you stay right where you are because we will be right back on the catholic conversation the catholic women of phoenix formerly the phoenix diocesan council of catholic women invite you to the 2019 phoenix catholic women's conference on saturday february 9th at xavier college preparatory founders hall this year's theme is who does he say that you are This year's Catholic Men's Conference will be on Saturday, February 2nd, also at Xavier College Prep, and the theme is New Knighthood. Find out more at the Catholic Men's Fellowship website at cmfp.org. And welcome back to the Catholic Conversation. I'm Steve Green, Director of Kino Catechetical Institute at the Diocese of Phoenix. I'm the Cradle Catholic here with my lovely wife, Becky the Convert. And uh, yeah, what what a—that was a neat conversation. Um— it's always good to get the the Midwest accent yes. into the mix here. I, I you know this, you don't have a, a well established Midwest accent. No, I don't. I, I've I have not. I've not. Um, I think I'm sure I did when I was a kid. But yeah, for whatever reason, the the Midwest accent has faded over the years. But uh, there there's also something that was occurring to me. There there's a, a there's a kind of simple hospitality and a down to earth view of life that a lot of Midwesterners have that I think mm. you kind of pick up in Gina too. But I was, first of all, I just, I love her her perspective on bringing John Paul II and his uh, his teaching on the family into her work and uh, into her family. Um, but I thought it was really interesting at the end, you know, hearing about her dad, who's a doctor, yes. who in the teeth of that whole sexual wow. revolution made what would, I mean, it's still a radical so decision courageous. to not prescribe yeah. birth control. I mean, it was beyond radical back then. Um, and yet, you know, she notices that it's that faithfulness that bore fruit in her family to be one of eight kids and to have all the kids still practicing. That's, you can't convince me that one has nothing to do sure. with the other. So that's just, sure. again, that beautiful witness of God's never outdone in generosity and he takes care of you. And if you're willing to obey, that just opens you to grace. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was a it was an enjoyable conversation. I, you know, we just get kind of all giddy when you get to talk about family and and the mission of the family because it's something near and dear to our hearts, obviously. Uh, so, who do we have coming up next? Well, I'm glad you asked <laughs> because Jennifer told me who it is, so I know the answer. <laughs> it's uh, next next week. Actually, another another powerhouse. Uh, you won't want to miss this one. Set your calendars or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Um, we're going to have uh, Deborah Savage, and she is uh, she is a uh, author, speaker, teacher. Um, I don't know if she's a blogger or not, but uh, she she 
has a ton of insight into the adequate anthropology of the Catholic Church. That's very much her thing, is what it means to be a human person, Mm -hmm. created in the image and likeness of God, created male and female. So we're going to talk to her about exactly that, the Church's view of the human person versus the culture's view of the human person, the Church's view of masculinity and femininity, as opposed to the culture's. You won't want to miss it, so make the plans accordingly. And in the meantime, thanks, as always, for being part of the Catholic Conversation. Remember, Church has what the world needs, so learn your faith, live your faith, and share your faith.